Lord, I pray by your spirit, God, this morning, that you, being the giver of life, being the source of life, and the source of all created order, that you would breathe life upon us as a, as a group of people, as a congregation, as a gathered, assembled people. Speak life and vitality to this community for your glory in this city, God. I pray for the ones who want to give up on living here in this city because they haven't found meaningful community yet. Would you bring comfort and bring community today to their lives? I pray for those who have no idea what Christian community is, and they're very selfish in their approach to church and community. I pray that you would correct all of us today. We all submit ourselves under your powerful, authoritative, wonderful, awesome word. Turn our hearts of stone into hearts that beat again, God. Holy Spirit, renew us and transform us and give us life today by your word. I pray, God, that you would anoint me to speak in love and truth today. I submit my mouth and my mind to you, Lord. We love you, God, and we just we want to be a community in this city. In, this, in the Bay Area that shows the wonderful gospel of grace lived out in community. Teach us your word today, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, since January, when we started uh, Reality This Church, we've been looking at the story of Jesus as told through the eyes of Mark. Now, during the time of Mark's writing, there were people actually retelling the story of Jesus. Now, everything was spread orally then. So they're retelling the story of Jesus orally. And Mark was the first to write down a book, and subsequently he started and began a, a genre of writing called the Gospels, as we know them today. And what Mark did when he was writing this book is he began to write who Jesus really was. He wrote a book explaining to us, expositing to us who Jesus really was, not a Jesus that's made up, not a Jesus that's recast. Now, not only can the can a secular person be guilty of reconstructing Jesus? And they often do. By saying, by watering down the hard sayings of Jesus and deifying the love and the, the peace scriptures. But also, the church can be guilty of recasting Jesus and remaking Jesus as well. When we get Jesus to back our political party or use Jesus as our excuse from, for separating from a filthy world or whatever. What Mark does, though, is in Mark we find the real Jesus, the unadulterated, unfiltered, raw, in-your-face Jesus, so in our face that the political and religious power structure of the day had him killed, as we talked about the last couple of weeks. Alongside the theme of who this real Jesus is, is the theme of following this real Jesus. So it's who Jesus really is, and then following this real Jesus. So they go parallel, these two themes in Mark. Here are the two parallel themes in Mark, is who is this real Jesus? Who is he really? And what does it look like to follow this real Jesus? Who is he? And what does it look like to follow him? And from the beginning of, of Jesus's Galilean ministry, it's very clear that he calls people in community with himself in order to impart his message and his mission with them. He calls a people to himself, and then he imparts his message and his mission to them. We see this in our text this morning in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he went up, and Jesus went up to the mountain, 
And he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. If you are a part of the community of Jesus, of the community of people who trust and follow Jesus, and you meet in small groups throughout the week in this, in, in this area, in this town or in the Bay Area, if you meet in small groups or are part of this church or another church, you can trace your roots back to this community right here that met on this mountain. You could trace this gathered community to the, the generation before them and before them, and you could trace it all back to Jesus calling these 12 to a mountain as Jesus starts a new community. What Jesus is essentially doing here is he's creating a new community. Jesus is assembling a new community. Look at verse 15. It says that he appointed 12 Jesus takes these 12 up and he says he appoints them as apostles. That word appoint, appointed in Greek literally means he made 12. Jesus took these men up and he made them 12. This word carries the idea of calling something into existence. Jesus calls 12 into existence, making something out of nothing. The same verb is used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke something that was nothing previously into existence. And what Mark is drawing up, what Mark is, is saying here essentially is that the 12 are a new creation, a new community made by Jesus, who, Jesus, in the creation account, was in the creation narrative, was the word that creates. In the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Jesus, we're told in Hebrews, is the word that creates. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So here, Jesus is at it again, creating something new. Creating not the world this time, but reordering the world. He's creating a new humanity, a new community. So this relationship that the disciples have entered into with Jesus as Jesus draws them up to a mountain doesn't exist because of what they can do for Christ. Jesus doesn't draw Peter up on the mountain going, you know what, Peter, you can do this for me, and Thomas, you can do this for me, and John, you can do this for me. No, he didn't draw them up so what, for what they can do for him. He draws them up because of what Christ can make of them, what he can turn them into. He draw the, draws these four people from all different walks of life because of what he can make of them, because of what he, by his power, can turn them into. And what is that? Jesus is doing nothing less than creating a new human community right here, an alternate social reality a truly eschatological people, people, a group, a community of people who will live in the already but not yet kingdom of God. When Jesus ascends to heaven, this is an alternate human society that actually changes everything. They actually, this, this new community actually changes Rome. This new community will actually change the world. What Jesus is doing here is he's creating the church. Now, 
What is this new community that Jesus starts, and what does it look like to live in this Christian community? That's what I really want to talk about today, and I think it's pretty apropos considering we're, we're starting signups for community groups. Why are we starting small groups as a church? Why are we doing this? And this is what we'll look at this morning from this text. This is what we'll look at, a new biblical community. What is it? We'll talk about who we are, how we are, and why we are, okay? Who we are, the identity of this community, this Christian community, how we are, the character of this Christian community, and why we are, the motivation of this Christian biblical community. So who we are, how we are, and why we are. First one, who we are. What is our identity as the people of God? Our text says that Jesus took 12 up to the mountain, and there he called them to himself that he might be with him. Now, there's two very significant things here. First of all, the mountain and the number 12 are very significant in this text. The mountain is significant because the mountain in the Old Testament was a locus of, of revelation and redemptive action of God. The mountain was this locus of, of God revealing himself and redeeming his people. The number 12 is significant because there are 12 tribes of Israel. So the number 12 has this clear, redemptive, historical weight to it as well. William Lane, commentating on this, says this. In the calling of the 12, Jesus orders his work and theirs in accordance with the structures of redemptive history and its goal, the creation of the community of God. Jesus is drawing up all this redemptive history to point at its goal. What is the goal of the redemptive work of God? To make for himself a people. That is what Jesus is doing here as he calls these disciples up to the mountain. He's making for himself a people. Jesus is creating and making a new community of God. And the identity of this new community would be a community gathered around Jesus. Jesus would be the center and the goal and the prize of this new community. Jesus is actually in the center of this whole episode. When the crowd, when he's down by the lake and this mob is around him, he's at the center. When he takes up the 12 up to the mountain, he's in the center. Jesus is in the center. And this new community would be identified now as being with Jesus. That's, that's their new identity. Being, and this is huge. You might want to underline this in your Bible or remember this. Being with Jesus was what their new identity was. For good or for bad, this was their new identity. Remember at the end of, of, this, of this story when Jesus is arrested and Peter is warming himself by the fire as he follows Jesus? And three times they recognize Peter as being with Jesus. Weren't you with him? He's like, I wasn't with him, I swear it. And that slave girl sees him. No, you were with him. I saw you with him. No, I was not with the man. I swear it. That was his new identity. You're that, you're that guy that was with Jesus. Later on, when they get a little bit more bold, and after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit, they start preaching Jesus, and they get arrested for it. And look at what the, the, the council says, the Jerusalem council, as they see these men preaching Jesus, this is what they, they recognize from Peter and John, verse 14, or verse 13 in chapter 4 of Acts. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That was their new identity. They were with Jesus. That was, that was their new identity. They were known by being in the company of Jesus. It wasn't that they liked the same band or they all worked at the same job. They didn't. It was they were gathered around Jesus. So what is the identity of a new community that Jesus creates? Jesus is our new identity. 
And to be honest with you guys, this is why biblical community is so hard. I don't know if you've ever tried to live in true biblical community. It's very difficult because our identity is supposed to be Jesus. And it's hard because we're all sinners. Every single one of you in here, myself included, is very much a sinner. We're bent inward towards ourself, every one of us. And let's be honest. We all want to be in community with people just like us. I want to be in a community with people everyone's like me that laughs at the same thing I laugh at and loves what I love and listens to what I listen to. You know why? Because you love yourself so much. Like, if you, don't have, if you have the same taste in music as I do, you're, you have a great taste in music. And you're brilliant. And I want to get to know you because you remind me of me. And that's why we want to be in community like with everyone like us. So when we walk into a group like this, we're like, well, no one's like me. I'm out. I'm out. Of I, can't, I can't do this. No one's like me in this room. Because we're bent inward towards ourselves, because we love ourselves so much. And when everyone's like us, we're like, we, I love this place because everyone's wearing what I like to wear. Because I love me and I love my style. That's why. The reason why biblical community is so hard is because we've all failed at community. Every, probably every one of us has, have failed at this biblical community in the past. We've left behind probably a bloodbath of broken relationships. Just horrible relationships where we don't want to talk to people anymore. Therefore, we have these natural defenses when we get into community. When we go to a community group or a small group, we have these defenses up, like it's going to take too much time to build a community like I had back home, so I don't even want to try here. Or I'm only here for two years, I'm not going to build meaningful community here, I'm only going to be here a couple years. Or I'm not going to get hurt like that again, so I'm not going to open my life to this person. And the reason for all of this, the reason why Every single person here, if, even if you follow Jesus or you don't follow Jesus, why we all are so broken relationally. Every single person in this, in this city, in this area, is broken relationally. Every single person, I think, is broken sexually. And we need to be pieced back together by the grace of God. Every single one of us. And the reason why is because at the fall, when our relationship with God was broken, everything else unraveled. When our relationship with God unraveled, everything else, every other relationship unraveled. Marriage relationship unraveled. Sibling relationship unraveled. The community relationship unraveled. But when your relationship with God is restored, all other human relationships are restored. God is creating a community which shows the world that if you restore a relationship with God, all the unraveling is woven back together into a new and true human fabric a new human community. That is what the gospel teaches. This is why, though biblical community is difficult, biblical community can work because Jesus gives us a new identity. We closed with this verse last week at the end of our teaching. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. Old has passed away, the new has come. Now, in context, in context in this verse, the newness is not simply individual newness. It's not just a renewal of your soul once you trust in Jesus. Jesus. It is that, but it's not all that. God, by his spirit, is creating and sustaining a new humanity that embodies together his promised reign of love and hope and compassion and reconciliation, harmony and justice. That's what God's doing. And we are commissioned 
as a Jesus community to represent the gospel of peace to, an, to the alienated and hostile powers of the world. That's what this new community is supposed to embody. This is why the thinking, if you think this, maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know. This is why the thinking that brings in the cultural notion of faith as a private individual matter and assumes that they can believe without belonging is foreign to the Bible. If you think, well, I could believe, I don't have to belong. I could just believe, I could just do my own thing. It's foreign to the Bible. Over and over again in the New Testament, the writers say that Christ wants to create a people. He's creating a people, okay? Not just a person, a people. Not merely isolated individuals who believe in him, but a new people. We are not saved individually, then given the option of joining a church like we're picking a country club or something, or a gym, an axe. The language it uses when someone puts their trust in Jesus and is saved is this, and the Lord added to their number. You're saved, and then you're brought into the church. You're a part of the church once you start following Jesus. Both Old and New Testament use this language. When you trust in God, you are part of a new people. Exodus 6, 7 and Revelation 21 both say this, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Both Old and New Testament say that. This is why John Stott says this about the church. It's a great quote. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose, conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history, and, be, and to be perfected in future eternity, it is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is, to call out of the world a people for his own glory. That is what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 3. So that's who we are. That's our identity. It's Jesus. Now the next point is how we are. What is the character of this new biblical community? What are the characteristics of this community that we are to live in? What are the nature and the features and traits and quality and characteristics of a robust biblical community? We have to keep biblical community in biblical perspective. We are a community made up of sinners. I'm going to share with you one of my most favorite and most liberating quotes from Eugene Peterson. It says this, the biblical fact is that there are not successful churches. Oh, that's liberating. Okay. <laughs> there are instead communities of sinners gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them and does his work in them. And in these communities of sinners, one of these sinners is called to be the pastor. And given the designated responsibility in the community and the pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. We have to remember that we are a community of sinners. We have to keep this in, in right perspective. The main biblical characteristic of community is the awareness that we are all sinners in a communal process of sanctification. That's, I know that's a Bible word. Let me explain that to you. Sanctification means that we're being made and formed, made and formed more and more into the image of God. So we are a community of sinners that are communally being sanctified, being made more and more and more like the community of God. 
And because God is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the way he shapes us and makes us like him is in the context of community. Unfortunately, this biblical concept of community is not always realized or lived out because it's often a misunderstanding of what we often misunderstand what Christian community is. Many of us believe that community means all my needs will be met by perfect Christians who are ready to serve me at my beckoning call. Nope. That is not what biblical community is. If you go into your community group expecting perfect Christians already to meet your needs, you're going to be so disappointed. And you'll probably just leave. And you're like, I just can't take this anymore. You should expect love in community. You should expect service. You should expect patience. But you should also be prepared to face, face hardship, pain, and sacrifice. So you should go to a community group. You should go to a church expecting to be loved and to, and to be served. And you should expect patience. But you should also be prepared to face hardship, pain, and sacrifice. Let me ask you a question. Are you in, currently, in a, a robust community where you can be called out and told you're an idiot in love? Are you? Are you in a, in a group of people that somebody can walk up to you and go, dude, you're being such an idiot right now, and you need to repent, you need to stop what you're doing? Are you in that sort of community? Are you in a community where all points of your life are connected to all points of somebody else's life. Where you share life together to the point where they see all of your life and you guys share meals together and study together and share decisions and problems and successes and failures together. That is biblical community. When somebody can walk up and go, God, when, when we're hanging out, you do this too much or you do this too little and you're okay being called out by this loving, in love loving community, and you don't go, dude, don't judge me. Just don't judge me, okay? I'll do whatever I want to do. Are you in that community? Are you in a community where it's hard to love somebody in your small group, but you do anyway, because that's what it means to follow Jesus? Are you in a community where not everyone is like you? When you show up, not everyone's your same age. Not everyone is in the same industry as you. Not everyone has the same goals as you. Now, I understand some of you who have been coming are thinking you don't know anyone and you feel like nobody knows you in this church. I'd say to you, join the club. I feel the same way almost every week. You know why? Because we're young. Nobody knows anybody in this church yet. It takes time to build community. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice to build true biblical community. We've been a church for three months and to be totally honest with you, we didn't think much of small groups when we started because we thought our church was going to be a small group. We thought this whole church was going to be a, a small group. And so we didn't even think about small groups. We're like, we'll, we'll start out as a small group, right? And we'll just know everybody and everybody will know us. And we'll know them and we'll hang out together and we'll go to meals after church on Sunday together. And we'll just hang out. It'll be so fun. And that's not what happened. And then after the first month, we're like, well, the first month was kind of an anomaly. It won't happen the second month. It'll dwindle back down to a small group. And then we'll get to know everybody. And then it didn't happen. And then by the beginning of month two, we're like, oh my gosh, we have to do some small groups. We really have to think about small group community because that's very important to us. But I didn't just make a decision, okay, we're going to small, start small groups tomorrow and everyone just deal with it because that's not biblical community either. And that's not wise, responsible church governance. 
we submitted to God together. If you've been showing up to Tuesday nights, we've been praying a lot about biblical community. We've submitted this idea together, and we started praying together and submitting our thoughts about what does it look like to live in community in this city, in this community, in this area, in the Bay Area. What does it look like to do that? And so, and we've prayed, and we've planned, and we've prayed, and we've planned, and we've trained, and in three weeks from now, we actually start small groups. We actually start community groups. Now, this idea of small group community, or not necessarily small group, but biblical community, the there's a biblical Greek word for this. It's called koinonia. You've probably heard it if you've been around church at all. Koinonia in the Greek. Look at this quote. This communal reality of holy living, mutual support, sacrificial service, the New Testament calls koinonia. And we need koinonia. This basically means, we, we translate this word fellowship or community. The biblical idea of koinonia challenges the old competitive order of independence, self-interest, and private privilege. The Greek word for that is idios. Idios means this, private property, something that is your very own. But the opposite word of idios is koinos, or koinonia, where this idea of mutual interest is shared. So koinos challenges idios. Koinos challenges this competitive order of independent self-interest and private privilege. Christian community, the quote goes on to say, indicates new collaborative order of interdependence, shared responsibility, mutual instruction, and commonality, koinos. Within this new community of believers, studying, sharing, eating, and praying together, the promised fulfillment of creation is visible, tangible, and experienced, even though not yet perfected. What that means is that we're not perfect, but we as a biblical community should be a sign of coming attractions. We should be a sign to the world, to this area, of what it looks like to live under the rule and the reign and the peace and the joy and the forgiveness of God. We should be a picture of the inbreaking reign and rule of God in all of its redemption and all of its diversity. All of its redemption and all of its diversity. Because here's the end game. At the end of the story of the Bible is a gathered community of God on that great day when God is making all things new. And here's a snapshot of what that day looks like. Revelation chapter 7. And after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice first that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is still in the center of this community. The church is eternally gathered around Jesus. And notice secondly the diversity. This is a new human community that Jesus makes, destroying every barrier to human connectivity, every tongue, tribe, and nation. What this shows us is that you don't lose your diversity in heaven. We are still as diverse of a people in heaven. Now, how do we get this? How do we get this reconciled, loving community together? How does Jesus do this? When Jesus makes this new human community, he says he will mark 
you and me and this community by our love and our service. And I don't want to sound cheesy, but this love and this sacrificial service is what tears down every barrier. I know there's been songs written about it, but this is reality. This is truth. This is what Jesus says that he does. Right outside, when we, when we just found out that we were getting this space to meet on Sunday mornings, my wife and I would drive here sometimes after work or something, and we would just walk around here and just pray. And one time we were driving up, and we parked right outside, and we got out, and there was this pole and this like wooden thing, um, wooden sign uh, screwed to this pole. And on this sign, there's a wooden sign, someone wrote John 15, 12. And it's this, right outside of this building. If you find it, I'll give you 100 bucks. Just joking, I won't. This is, this, is, um, this is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus also says in John 13 that all men and women will know that you are mine, that you belong to the community of Jesus if you love one another. So based on that, here's the best description and the best biblical lesson I can give you for true community. The great lesson that we can learn in community is to love more and more while receiving less and less. Can somebody please get a tattoo of that? I will chip in for that tattoo. We, this is what a biblical, biblical community should really be right here. When we love more and more while receiving less and less. When we show up to community, when we show up to church, when we live together and we love more and more and more and expect less and less and less. This is only possible by the Spirit of God. Only God can turn us into this community. And this is what I, I, I pray that he does. So to summarize real fast, this new community that Jesus creates is First, it's a human, new human community that is gathered around Jesus. It's a new community of love rooted in the redemptive reign of God. It's a new community where the promises of God are set in motion. And it's a new community where the joy, freedom, and wholeness of life within the reign of God can, be, can already be tasted even if not yet fully consummated. Because, again, we're still a community of sinners. This is what this community that Jesus creates is. So that's how we are. Lastly, why we are. What's the motivation here? What's the motivation of this biblical community? What is the reason? Let me say this, that you will never make it in life, especially life in this, in this area, apart from being deeply rooted and strongly embedded in a robust, close community of people who have experienced the grace of God. You will not make it. People try. And after months, and this is what I've already heard, I've only lived here eight months or something like that, and this, I've already seen this and heard this. People try to live in this city without robust community, and after months or maybe a year of trying to follow Jesus outside of a robust community, they give up and they move back home or move back down south or move back to the suburbs or whatever, and they oftentimes leave wounded, like there's no real people here. Or people try to live in community and then learn it's easier to live without judgmental Christians telling you what to do and scrutinizing all of your decisions. And like, I'm out. I just, too many judgmental people here always trying to tell me what to do. I find this very interesting. 
and I'm not going to poll you or survey you, but from the people that I've met here, I'd say 90% of the people that I've met here, probably more, who would call themselves Christians, followers of Christ, are miles and miles away from any authority structure they grew up with. Miles. Maybe you could do your own little test right now. How far are you away from the authority structure that you grew up with? Miles and cities away and states away sometimes from your hometown, your parents, your best friends that knew you growing up better than anyone else, your family. You're far, far away from any of that. And they come and you move to this area, this part of the, of the world, and you come here and the, one of the worst words in the English language around here is submit. But that's exactly what the Bible calls us to do, to submit one to another. And I say this because outside of the authority structure that we grew up with, we kind of come to this area and go, I can live however I want and work out what it means to be a, a, a follower of Jesus all by myself in this community and do whatever I want to do, just kind of pick and choose the things that I, I grew up with and leave behind these things and grab these things or whatever. Ephesians 5 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ." What we learn as you start to reread all those passages that tell us what we should and should not do as followers of Jesus, what we find when we, read, read, when we reread those is they are all to be done and not done in the context of community. So how do I know what the will of God is in my life? You'll know it in the context of community. How do I know not, not to get drunk with wine? How do, I, how do I learn how to not get drunk every single time I go out? in the context of true biblical community? How do I make wise decisions versus unwise decisions in the context of a community where you're submitting decisions one to another? This city, this area, needs robust Christian community so people who love Jesus stay in the city longer and these communities put on display the loving alternate social reality that Jesus creates. Our motivation is the same as our identity. It's Jesus. Our motivation is Jesus, who was forsaken that we could be brought into the community with God and with each other. That is our motivation. So let's pray and let's ask God together to, to begin to form this gathering that we have on Sundays into a new Christian community, a community that loves and follows and serves Jesus and each other. Let's pray. God, I understand that this, not, this cannot happen without your spirit to do this. And to be honest, I really thank God that every single person in this room, whether they follow you or not, really want this type of community. It's like this, this almost seems utopian sometimes to talk about. But you can do it by your spirit. You could, you could bring in this sort of community. It won't be easy. It'll be difficult. It'll be hard. But I pray that you would do this in this place, God, for the sake, for the name of Jesus in this, in the Bay Area, God. 
God, I pray that we would, those of us that need to repent, that we would repent. Those of us that need to swallow our pride, that we would do that, God. That all of us would submit to Christ. That you would turn submission and repentance to, you would redeem those words to turn into some of the most beautiful words that we use. We are all, and we confess this, God, we are all messed up. We all need you so desperately, Lord. So we turn our eyes to you, and we ask God together by your spirit that you would make us into a new Jesus-following community. Pray these things in your name. Amen.